0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. What's up, church? It's good to see you all. If you're online, we're really glad that you're here as well with us. Um, That was such a fun time. We just wanted to, once again, just recap it a little bit more. And just really, like as we Go forward in our walk with the Lord, and as we continue to make decisions to be faithful in our day and time now, understand you are part of a legacy of faith here in Bluffton, and our faithfulness today can have an impact positively in the future if we will remain focused on what Jesus is calling us to do. And I pray that that is our heartbeat, that is what we want to do. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. So, uh, it was a nice summery, kind of summery day. Like, it's, it's, it was around this time of year back in the day. Is right now summer or, or the beginning of fall? Summer? Summer. summer. summer okay. I just I sometimes it's like, I don't know what it is because it's starting to get a little cooler. Anyway, we'll go with summer. Okay. It was a nice summer day right around this time of year back at Wayne High School. And uh, I was looking more like this without all the facial hair and stuff. I could shave today, and I'd look like I'm 15. So that's why I always have facial hair. Um, and so uh, I was sitting in class about midway back, and this was the first day I realized um, that my eyes were not 2020 vision because I sat down, and once my teacher started writing stuff on the chalkboard, I couldn't see what she was writing. I had no idea. And I'm just like, hey, can you, like, are you writing anything on there? And and just, I quickly found out that what I thought I was seeing um, was, was well, it was blurry. Like, everything was blurry. And um, so, a couple of days later, I think, around that, like, I went to the eye doctor. And they did their little, phew, this one, this one, no, this one, this one, this one, this one. You know, you've been in there if you've got glasses. Uh, and, y'all, it was so amazing because it was like, boop, 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 And then I was like, phew, I could. I could see things with crispness and, and clarity and and it was amazing. And once I got my glasses and was able to wear them, it was it was it was beautiful. Like the world, y'all. I don't know if you noticed, it, the world's beautiful. It's a beautiful place we live. Like I started noticing the leaves on the trees, and like I could tell, like they had like like little things, dimensions to it, details to it, and I never got to see that. Um, before, uh, as my, as my eyes started getting worse, and I had these contacts I could wear during, during sports, and, and once I did that, y'all, it, it was amazing. Like, I was good at baseball, but then I got to be able to see the, the, the ball, like, when it's coming. I could see the stitches and, like, the rotation of the ball. I could see the red, and I could know if it's a fastball or a curveball, not just based on the arc of the ball, but because of the ball's rotation, it was amazing. It just made it so much easier, y'all. I was like, majors, I'm coming. Here I come. But I stopped at college. It just didn't work out for me. You know, not as far as Mike got. You know, whatever, Mike. Um, and, and so uh, it was just it was just amazing. It was a game changer because what I realized is that what I was seeing without my glasses was not things as they really are. Right? Um, I, I was seeing things. I was seeing how, how, from my perspective, but that's not how they actually were. It was so much better. It was like back in the day. Remember, um, some of us, we had these... These TVs that were not just TVs, but they were like furniture, like pieces of furniture. Like that sat on the ground, was pieces of wood. And, and it was like 8,000 pounds. Like you remember trying to move those things? Yeah. Uh, and, and back in the day, we didn't have high definition. It was just standard definition, definition. And we had these like antennas that we had to like dial in. And if you didn't get fully dialed in, uh, you know, like it might just be a little blurry and some of us, we gave up and we just like, I don't care. It's just blurry. I can see half of it. There's like two versions of it. It's fine. I don't care. Um, But now we have these high def. That's what it felt like. It went from standard definition to high definition when I got my glasses. And uh, as we've been going through this series, we've, we've talked about the first two weeks, right? Uh, we did some reconnaissance, we identified the lies that we believe, and then last week we talked about how we can wage war against those lies with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and with the truth of what God's Word says, and we can wage war on those. Um, and today we're going to be talking about a regime change. Uh, but here's here's how this breaks down for my glasses, a little silly example like that, is that what did I have to do to be able to get to the point where I could see things clearly on a regular basis? I had to identify that I was buying into a lie that I don't need these things, right? And so once I had that awareness, I went to the eye doctor and he told me the truth. Like, yeah, dude, you need some glasses. I don't think he said, dude, but it would have been cool if he did, you know. he um, would have connected to my teenage heart. Um and and so, I, I got the truth that I needed glasses, but then I had to take another step. I had to submit to that truth and actually put the glasses on when I got them, right? And when that's what we're going to be talking about today in this third week of this series, where we're going to do a regime change. You're going into battle, you need to do reconnaissance, you need know, to know what the enemy is like and what he's trying to do, and then you need to wage war on the enemy, and once you win, then you need to do a regime change. Someone is different, someone different is in charge now. And that is what we need to submit to is that not only we identify the lies that we believe, and, and not only we do we believe God's word in light of that and, and push up against that, but now we submit ourselves to the truth and we live in a different way. And we're going to talk about reframing our past and our future in light of God's truth. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37 to start. Genesis it's the first book, so if you open it up, you're right there. So you, you did good. Genesis 37, uh, and we're going to learn a little bit about a guy named Joseph. So verse 3, G- Genesis 37, verse 3, it says this. Now Israel, which is uh, Jacob, uh, Joseph's dad, he has two names. He's a cool dude like that. You know, so cool, he named him twice, that kind of deal. Um, Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. Parents, not a good idea. Just saying, okay? Not going to work out for your kid as we're going to soon find out. And he made a robe of many colors for him. This this is a going to town robe, you know. This is cool. This, This is nice. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hey, hey, listen to this dream, guys. Listen to this dream I had. There we there we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. We're just working. But suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. So Joseph is uh, the, the youngest of 12 sons. And uh, clearly his dad uh, was not at all hiding the fact that he had a favorite in Joseph. And so he gave him this nice fit robe. It was good looking and all the ladies loved it. I would assume, I don't know. Uh, maybe he had some good Instagram pictures of it. As his profile, you know he was wearing that robe, okay? And so uh, as Joseph's living life, uh, dreams are be- going to become a big part of it. And so he uh, willy nilly just kind of shares this dream that he had with his brothers and says, Hey guys, check this out. Check this out. It's such a cool dream, y'all. You're going to love it. So here we are. We're working in the field. Uh, we're doing some, some grain work. And, and all of a sudden, y'all are bowing down to the sheep, my sheep. And it's basically a metaphor for y'all are going to bow down to me. I'm the youngest. Take that in your face, right? See, uh, th- his brothers didn't like that, as you can imagine. You know, uh, any of, any, do we have any of the babies in the, in the family uh, order of line? Okay, yeah. See, I was the oldest. Um, I had to be the responsible one for all y'all little babies, you know. <laughs> and Joseph was the, the little spoiled baby who was always like just spouting off at the mouth thinking nothing's going to happen. Well, something happened, okay. His brothers was like, you know, we need to get rid of this dude. Get rid of this fool. Like, let's just get rid of him. And they, they came up with a plan to kill him. Well, okay. So one of them was like, hey, let's, let's not go that far, okay? Um, let's just sell him to these people who are riding by, and, and we'll sell him, and we'll take one of his pieces of clothing, we'll dip it in some blood, and we'll make up the story to Dad and be like, yo, Dad, it's really sad. Uh, your son got killed by this animal. It was, it was wild. It was crazy. And, and then we, we got rid of our, our little, you know, gnat of a brother. We'll get rid of him. And so that's what happened. They, they sold him into slavery. Um, and eventually Joseph made his way to Egypt. I mean, imagine being Joseph. He's 17 at this time. And, and all of his hopes and dreams for what he was going to do. Like, I don't know if he was going to college or trade school or what, you know, going to military. I don't know what his plans were. Um, but all of a sudden he had no choice in the matter, right? Joseph now was sold in bondage from his brothers. The people around him were supposed to care, right? And his, his dad couldn't help him, nothing. So Joseph is uh, eventually made his way to Egypt and he is uh, bought by this family, one of the kind of upper echelon people in Egypt and he is just a house servant there. And so he's serving as a house servant in Egypt and scripture says that Joseph was a, a good looking dude. I mean, it doesn't say exactly that. It doesn't say he was a good looking dude. That's just Brandon's translation. But, uh, it says he was, he was an attractive guy. And, uh, the, his master's wife took notice of that. She was like, hey, got it going on. You, you, wanna, you wanna do some things? You know? She's, she was hitting on him and, and coming on strong. And Joseph, being a, a nice mature guy, um, honorable man said no like I ain't gonna do that stay away from me and uh, as time went on she tried it again And uh, this time she came full force on him and he he was able to escape her Clutches and leave but she got a piece of his robe and at this him and clothes man It just doesn't work out for him um, And and so she makes up this story that he uh, attacked her And um, was trying to take advantage of her when, in fact, the the actual truth of the story is the other way around. And so she makes up a story because she wasn't used to being told no, right? Clearly, she was not okay with being told no. And so she makes up this story, and he ends up in prison as an innocent man. And so you got, maybe by then he's 18, 19. We don't know exactly what age this happened. Um, But he was in prison until he was 30. So, I mean, imagine, like, imagine being in the shoes that, that you are sold, pushed away by your family and abandoned to a far-off place. Now you're a servant, a slave. You got no, no choices of your own. And then now you're this innocent man in prison for a crime that you didn't do. And, and you have to be thinking like, man, that, that's rough, right? Like that, that's a long time. Like when you're reading it in the scriptures, it's just like the next sentence, he, there's this dream thing. But that's not how it actually worked. Like there was a lot of time there to start to, to frame out, like, how am I understanding life and how the world works? And so, so Joseph, uh, there's, there's, Pharaoh has this dream and he's trying to figure it out and, um, Joseph ends up interpreting dreams because dreams are a big part of his life, and and he interprets a dream. Uh, one of the guys who was a prisoner gets released, and, and Joseph's like, hey man, when you get out, like let me know, like help me out, like tell Pharaoh I, you know, I was helping, you know, got his back, um, so he could get out too. Well, that guy forgot about Joseph. But two years later. Pharaoh has this dream that he can't have... No one around him, any of his advisors, his magicians, the people who are supposed to be able to interpret dreams, they can't figure it out. And Joseph is the one who figures it out. And uh, Pharaoh brings Joseph uh, out of prison and then hires Joseph to end up being... Joseph is now second in command in all of Egypt uh, under Pharaoh himself. So when it comes to things happening in egypt pharaoh trusts joseph to just run it all so he went from being the youngest kid a shepherd boy uh, and working with his his family farm to being sold into slavery imprisoned uh and and now 13 years later he's he's like coo of egypt chief operating officer like it's not exactly the the linkedin profile you'd expect right not exactly where you would line your resume up and like, yeah, this was my career trek. Like, it, let me teach this on YouTube on how to do this, you know, how to get your dream job. It's not exactly the route you would assume it would be taken. But that's, that's how Joseph ended up in Egypt. And, and, and he, things are going well. And, and this dream uh, told Joseph that uh, he needed to start saving a lot of the grain Uh, in egypt because a famine was coming and so uh, for years joseph's doing this and uh, no one else in the region knows about it but joseph knows about it so egypt when this famine comes egypt's got all the all the food got all the grain it's got all the resources all the stuff they're prepared they're ready to roll but then his family back in canaan back in israel area that we know today, uh, they are now struggling, needing food. And so they go to Egypt because they heard that Egypt's got what they need. So his brothers come to Egypt and Joseph is the guy that they come to see. They don't realize it's him, but they come before this big, powerful man in Egypt and they all bow down to him. So Joseph's dream is, 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 is realized in real life right here in flesh and blood and it goes back and forth and they have this uh, eventually joseph tells them who they are and he he tells them not to be angry or grieved at themselves because what what they meant for evil god actually has been using this so that he can actually be in this present moment where he's saving his people from uh from extinction from from starving to death and so uh, eventually Jacob and the whole family moved to Egypt, and they settle in, and they were there for like 12 years before Jacob dies. Jacob is Joseph's dad. And in Genesis 50, we pick up the story. They've already buried Jacob back in Canaan. They've come back to Egypt, and they're, they're living life, and, and the brothers, they, they start to wonder. In verse 15, Genesis 50, right at the very end, uh, this is what it says. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brothers' transgression and their sin, the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive The transgression of the servants of the God of your father. We don't know if this is true. Probably just a little bit of a manipulation ploy, right? He probably didn't say that. Uh, They're just trying to cover their rears. uh, and, And that's what they said. Joseph wept when their message came to him. His brothers also came to him, bowed down before him once again and said, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of my people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So that the very people, the very brothers who sold him into slavery are now bowing before him saying, hey, we are now your slaves. And you have to think, like, for Joseph, there were so many opportunities in his life, this included, where he could have allowed his past experiences to have the last part of the story, to have the last word, right? Like, I mean, can you imagine being 17 and everything taken away from you? You're innocent in prison at 19. Things don't seem... Like, life seems to be really rough, right? Like, life does not seem to be working out at all for you. Anybody who's close to you, they seem to abandon you or betray you or push you out. Like, it's it's not been a nice ride for him in his life. And yet, something in Joseph has allowed him to have this kind of perspective that when his brothers come to him once again, and now his brothers, his his father is dead, and now his brothers are coming to him, hey, uh, man, they're worried that he's holding a grudge. Like maybe they were waiting, maybe Joseph was waiting till his brother, till his dad died so that he didn't have to see what he was about to do to them, right? He had the power. He had the authority to do anything he wanted to them. What do you do when someone hurts you in your past? And if anyone else had any kind of resemblance of context for what actually happened, they wouldn't at all blame you for taking out vengeance on those people. It would be more surprising to not do it. Have you ever been there? Where you not only had the desire, but you had the opportunity right before you to destroy someone who's destroyed you. Joseph had the opportunity, but he chose not to take it. Can you imagine being Joseph in this moment and having this idealized perspective that, hey, it's all good, brothers, it's all good. I know what you meant. You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Really? Thirteen years of bondage? Yeah, sure, now. Like, it seems like it's working out for Joseph. But he didn't have... A choice in it. Like maybe he didn't want to live in Egypt. Maybe it's too hot. Maybe he wanted to go somewhere else. No, here he is now. And he chose not to take vengeance on them. I mean, think about how Joseph could have responded to his experiences. How he could have shaped his view of the world. Because uh, all of us need to understand your experiences that you go through over the course of your life shape how you view the world. Not entirely, but a big part of it comes from what you've dealt with. The lies that you've believed have created frames in which you see the world through. Think about it. Joseph could have. We wouldn't even blame him. Wouldn't even blame him. Like, homie, that's man, I I get it, man. He could have saw the world like this. Those people who are closest to you will always hurt you. Because that's what was true for him. Think about it. Brothers, closest, hurt him. Dad couldn't help him. Goes to Egypt. Now he's got this master. He's got this household he's supposed to serve. You know, I don't know what the relationship was like with him and his master, but it seemed to be good. And what happened? This, this woman lied about him, and now he's in prison. Those closest to you always hurt you. That's true for his first 30 years of his life right? For him, is that true about life in general? For him, it is. Now he's just at a point in his career where if anyone would try to hurt him, uh, they would get hurt. Like they have to think twice now because of his authority. He could have thought life about that. He could have thought, you know what, that's, that's it. So like what would have that led him to do? His brothers come? No, nope, get out of here, dude. I don't want you even anywhere near me. Because anytime someone gets close, they hurt. Anytime someone gets close, they cause me pain. So you've got to push them away. Uh, That's not how he saw the world, though. Uh, This is another another possibility. Nothing good can ever come from people's decisions. Nothing nothing good can ever come from other people's decisions. Because that was true for him. His brothers making decisions for him. Nothing good came from that. His his master's wife making decisions. Nothing good came from that. Even when he did something good. And and his fellow prisoner got out. Because of his wisdom. The dude forgot about him. Nothing good can ever come from people's decisions. So like now. He's in a position where he can make the decisions. It would be easier for him. To only look at himself. And his own decisions. As the chief end in life. Like that's, if, if I'm not in control, I'm in danger. That doesn't seem to be how he looked at things. Now, here's another possibility. If you show your true colors, everyone will just want to get rid of you. If you show your true colors, Joseph had a robe of many colors. If you show your true colors, it's a Bible joke, you know, uh, if you show your true colors, everyone will want to get rid of you. So you better not be honest with how you really are. Don't let anybody in on how you really are. Because everyone's going to, they, they might put up with you for a minute, but eventually it's going to be too much for them to really be let in on who you are. So I'm going to get rid of you. That, that was true for him. But that's not how he viewed the world. Uh, he could have said like this, that's life. That's life. Throw our hands up. That's life. It's full of no ups and all downs. No ups, all downs. Because for the first thirty years of his life, that's kind of how it went. But that doesn't seem to be the where he landed. He could have said this: No one is worthy of trust. No one's worthy of trust. Trust no one. What's what's the advice he should have given to his grandkids? To his kids, what's the advice your grandparents gave you? Because they learned some things over the course of their lives. Maybe there were good things. Maybe there were things that you took too far. That's not how he viewed things. Instead of that, Joseph decided to see things through the lens of God's purpose and God's work. Totally different. Totally different. He started to look at what he dealt with in his past and he could see how God was working in it. Hey, what you thought you were doing uh, that was evil, and by the way, you were doing things that are evil, so Joseph did not deny the 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 ugliness of his past. He did not deny that. That's not what we're doing here. We're not just pushing our past away and not talking about it. But Joseph said, hey, what you meant to do, it it was evil. But what God has done with it, Oh, he's flipped the script, homie. Like he's done something far different. He's made this for good so that now, because of what God did, you can be saved by the person you try to get rid of. That's so ironic and it's so hard to see things through that lens, right? And yet we all have stories that we could probably point to. See, the, the key to experiencing lasting change in this battle for our mind is being able to look at our past and give it meaning in light of what God says. In light of God's power and in light of God's work, we look at our past experiences, our past stories, the things that when we look back, we can't hardly see anything good or anything at all good from it. We look at it and we interpret it in light of the goodness of God. Here's here's the thing, church. Here's a new frame to view your past and your future through the goodness of God. Here's a new frame to view your past and your future through the goodness of God. This is what Joseph did he put on a different set of frames where he could have responded to his circumstances and responded to his past in ways that would have really uh, went in on what was true of his experience, divorced from the work of God because do you know that what's happening right now is not just what you can see. God, If God is here and God is working, then there's something deeper at work and something bigger at play than just what you can see. See, God has a tendency to redeem our pasts. And when we look at our past and our futures through the lens, the frame of the goodness of God, then we can start to see what was really true. So, so Joseph had all these reasons to believe a certain way about the way the world works. And yet, he landed on the goodness of God. And this is really hard to do. Because some of us, we have, we have experiences, we have uh, hurts, we have um, circumstances from our past that we can't even come close to seeing anything good about the goodness of God coming from it, right? It's all bad, and, and that's true. Like, if it's bad, call it bad. If it's evil, call it evil. We're not in the business of just pushing things to the side and not dealing with it. We're looking life straight in the eye, straight in the face, and we're rolling in light of what God says and what God is calling us to. Let uh, me give you an example. Um, sometimes we go through stuff in our past that shapes us and, and, and it, it causes us to think a certain way about the present moment. Um, for me, uh, I, I think I had a pretty typical childhood like no no big crazy stuff for most of it but but things changed uh when i was 17 um and and when i share bits and pieces of my story publicly i'm always very conscious of the details i give so if you want more details with what i'm about to share i'd be happy to share with you uh Not when I'm on stage being filmed for YouTube, right? Um, um, So when I was, it started when I was 17, but when I was 18, um, I found myself kicked out of my house um, and uh, looking for a place to go because half my family uh, basically disowned me. Um, and, and what I did was not even anything morally bad. It was actually morally good, which is the iron, irony of it, the sad thing about it. And so um, at the age of 18, um, I, I, I had no contact with um, my mom, my stepdad, my brother um, by their choice. And that led me down to a place of deep dark depression um because i i i didn't know what to do with that um i thank god every day that the fact that i've got grandparents who took me in uh, when i didn't have anywhere to go and uh, let me work through what the heck i was going through and so as as you know, as a as a guy trying to wrestle with, okay, what is what does life look like now? Um, I can't call the person I thought I could lean on in life. You know, I think growing up was probably more of a mama's boy. Um, I I had that was cut off. I I didn't have that, and you know, I would I would deal with like. The pain of not being wanted. The pain of being pushed away. And this is stuff that I still deal with now. Um, Remember when I told you some of my lies the first week? I don't know if you remember them, but one of them was, um, eventually everyone will hurt me. It's because I've been hurt deeply. Deeply by the people closest to me. And going through that, I I was deeply depressed and had no real direction in life, didn't know what to make sense of it, didn't know how to cope with it. And so I was just, I felt like looking back, I was like a zombie. I didn't know what to do. Um, Eventually, uh, Sarah and I um, were... Uh, spending time with some people who are more public with their faith and, and more, you know, just following Jesus, going to church and things. And I started to just notice that what I, like, I, I was, I was a, not only a, a, a arrogant, confident, cocky teenager, but I was like, not just because I was a teenager, but that's just how I was, am, uh, and, and I was brought low. And I, I just knew that I didn't have any answers for life. I didn't know what the heck I was supposed to do. What I didn't have any anywhere answers. What does this even mean? And uh, we started to spend some time with these people who seemed to have some kind of faith. And what they displayed was just something different than I had ever even seen in my life at all, ever. And I think because I was in such a low place... Um, God met me in that low place because now finally my heart had been tilled enough to be receptive to what he would say. Because up to that point, I had no kind of faith other than I, I prayed at night when I was a teenager because I was like, it makes sense that there's a God. I don't know anything about him, but it just makes sense. And so, y'all, there's so much more. And I, it's it's hard for me even to even kind of tell you the story without giving you any of the details because it's just, it's hard to even put you there. But what I walked away with are wounds that, like, if if I let people close, they're going to hurt me. And that people only care about what I do for them, not about who I am. Wounds that, if if friendships are hard, they're really hard. Relationships, they're hard. And you probably don't maybe notice that. But all of us have something under the surface that other people don't know about. They don't see. And yet, in our present days, they oftentimes come creeping back, right? Maybe you've stuffed them down so much. But what I've learned over time is that the way I look at my story, the way I look at those times in my life, the four years that I had no contact with my mom, we talk now, and and that's been a God thing, for sure, um, to to restore that relationship uh, to something uh, that, that I can look to and be reminded of God's goodness and grace. Um, but for those four years, like that, that did something to me, and for all of us, our past do stuff to us. But what I know now is that when I tell that story, I don't have to tell the story. In a way that my lies reign supreme, where okay, yeah, back in the day, these people did this to me, and uh, there's a lot more people along the track of abandonment stuff that I could go into, but I'm not. Um, and I've got all these reasons to believe this this lie that uh, to believe that it's true that if you eventually everyone's going to hurt me, so I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for you to rip my heart out, you know. Uh, And and I could I could start to tell that story and believe those lies and to have that be the frame in which I look through things through But what i've come to believe and come to realize is that in the midst of all of that god was working That yes, he didn't cause them to make those bad decisions. He didn't cause them to push me out He didn't cause them to do those things But in the midst of it god was with me That even if other people push me away who are supposed to care for me, God's with me and He cares for me and He loves me. That's what I came to find out. That when we think about our past, we can know that because God is working, that because God is present, that God because God is powerful, the enemy ain't going to win, but the Lord wins in the end. Yes. And so when we look at our past, we can start to reframe it in light of the goodness of God, because through that I grew up, I became more of a mature person. Because I had to, I, I I started to to wrestle with who God is, and I found Him, y'all, and He found me. And because of that, my life has been utterly changed forever. So while I would never want to go through that again, I am grateful that I went through it because of what it's resulted in. And that is God's showing me his goodness and grace and changing me from the inside out. And he's still on that path. I'm still on that journey with him of him changing me to become more of a healthy, thriving individual in this world that he's called me to live in. And that can be true for all of us. So what is it in in your life in your past, the thing that you, you struggle to see anything good come from it, you can't even picture anything possibly good, what is it for you? What is that thing that you need to um, take before the Lord and say, I-, I know that this is bad. This was evil. This was hard. This was terrible. This was not how you wanted it, Lord, but it happened. And there's a gap now. And what is reality? Because if we are here on this earth and God is working and reigning supreme, then there's something beyond what we see. There's a thing beneath the thing and that is God's power and God's work. So what is it for you and your past that you can point to the goodness of God that yes, the, the situation wasn't good, but God did the good work in you. But God did something in you. God did something. He, he healed something in you. What's your but God story? I was, I was, I dealt with four years of, of no contact with half my family. Most of them I still have no contact with now. Um, and, and I've got a lot of abandonment things, and I've got a lot of uh, relational difficulties and things that are still true of me, but I'm working through them. But God changed it so that now I have hope in the midst of it. Now I have hope that God's going to continue to heal those wounds that He's already started to heal. In my life. What's your but God story? And then when you start to reframe the past. You can start reframing the future. To where now when some things happen. That remind you of the past. When some things happen that that trigger you in those wounds. Now you can start to say. Okay I've already framed my perspective. Around the goodness of God. So God what are you doing in this? I I know that whats what I'm going through. Is not really the ideal situation. But God how are you going to grow me through it? To reframe it. To look at it a different way. This is what Paul said in Romans 12, 1-2. Our theme verse for this series. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. See, when he says, I urge you, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. First week, I said that this is, the, this is the posture. This is the prerequisite for us to be able to even engage in this battle and have any hope of winning. Is that we have to have that as our posture. We're presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Where we are saying, Lord, here I am. This is my present self. I've got all these things, I've got all this stuff, this way I look at things. I know it's not exactly how you would want me to look at things. Here I am. I'm presenting myself as a living sacrifice. When we do that, we not only bring our present selves with us, we also bring all of our past stuff too. And so the question is, who is in charge of how you view your past? Who is in charge of how you will respond to the future? Who's in charge? You've done some reconnaissance, hopefully. You've identified the lies you believe. And that's great. You started to see how you need to wage war. You need to pick up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and start to fight against the lies that you believe. Well, now, friends, it's time for a regime change. Where we say, no, devil, you ain't in charge of my thought life. You're not in charge of how I view my past. You're not in charge of how I view my future. You're not in charge anymore. The Lord is in charge, and this is what he says to me. I can trust in him. I can trust that he's working out all things for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I may not see it now, but Lord, I trust you in the midst of it. I may not understand what the purpose of the past was, but Lord, I see that you are working in me right now. Lord, I do not know what the future uh, holds for me, but I do know, Lord, that you are there already and you are going before me and I can trust you in the midst of it. And Lord, you will never let me down even though other people may let me down. You will never let me down even though others may let me down. That that may be the the truth that you need to cling to. But regardless, we need a regime change where we say uh, how I view my past, how I interpret it, how I view the frame, how I frame it, Lord it's up to you on how I do that. So this is our homework today. Our homework this week is to spend some time in prayer asking God, Lord, what is the thing in my life that I can that, that I just can't see anything good from it. I can't see anything good coming from from my past from this past experience, from this relationship, from this circumstance. I just can't see anything good. What is that thing for you? Bring that to the Lord and ask Him to help you to identify and interpret it in a way that lines up with the truth, and the truth is always framed by the goodness of God that yes it wasn't it may not have been good that you went through it may have been evil, it may have been, been some of the stuff that would 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 break anyone else but just because that experience was bad doesn't mean that God can't use it to bring about good. And he's working, friends. And he's inviting us to go to this space where we start to reframe our past and we start to reframe how we view the future, how we will respond to it. This is going to take some, some time and prayer, some heart work. It's going to be hard. It may result in tears. It may result in some more pain. But it's going to be worth it and really, friends, this is what discipleship is all about. This is what growing in our relationship with Jesus is all about. He's letting him invade every little crevice and nook and cranny of our lives with the grace of God. It's not just remembering, memorizing some verses and coming to church, going to community group and serving. It's not just that stuff. It's letting God in to the depths of our being and saying, Lord, please heal me. And trusting that he's going to do it because he will. You can do it, but you got to lean in. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray and sing. Father, we um, we are grateful that the the way we view our past um, in our worst moments is not the end of the story. We're grateful that God, you are a redeeming God, a God who restores broken things and makes them new god you're the one who can call someone who's been through so much pain to heal them make them whole and then be the person for someone else to lean on when they're going through something similar god help us to see you at work not just in our past not just in our present but in the future too Help us to trust that you are working, that you love us, that you've called us to step into this space where we open ourselves up to you. That we no longer believe the lies of the enemy, but we wage war on those, those lies that we've believed for so long. And we start to reframe how we see the, the world through the lens, the frame of the goodness of you. God, would you help us that? We, we need your help. We can't do this on our own. Please hear us as we sing, hear us as we worship you. God, you are so good and so worthy of all of our praise and so much more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.